Good morning. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Pittsburgh. We are delighted to have you here this morning for worship. Old friends and new, please pick up the friendship pad and pass it to everyone in your pew. Please sign your name so that we are aware of your presence and we can all greet one another by name at the conclusion of worship. If you wish to talk to a Stephen minister confidentially, the Stephen minister on duty today is Dick Sprinkle, and he is available in the narthex wearing a special name tag. Take a look at the bulletin for details of upcoming events and additional announcements. And I do have one announcement this morning. Last Saturday, about eight days ago, a neighbor of ours their, their garage burned, and <clears throat> many people from this church came forward to offer assistance. We had a little bit of trouble tracking them down, uh, but after some sleuthing on the internet, we found they were Justin and Corrine Dagan, and we wrote to them earlier this week to offer help. And I just wanted to read what a Pittsford neighbor had to say about our church and our ministry. Thank you for the very generous offer of help following our house fire this weekend. We just returned to work today to receive your voice message and was so touched. We are doing fine and our insurance company is covering our expenses. If anyone wanted to make a gift, because we offered to do so, I would suggest our amazing volunteer fire company. I am enclosing my card and cell number. Please don't hesitate to contact me if I can be of help or if you see any strange activity at the property while we are away. Many thanks, Justin and Corrine. So we feel really good about the fact we could reach out to a neighbor. Please join us for refreshments in Fellowship Hall at the end of worship. We will begin our service with a prelude. Thank you. I'm glad that you're here at 9.30. We're never quite sure the first time we start changing summer worship times, how many people will really come at 8.30 and how many at 10? That's always the challenge to get into the groove with that. And what we've been doing over the summer's last few, we've given people the opportunity to uh, sing some of their favorite hymns. But I've got another idea, and in your bulletin today, you will find a hymn that was written last Saturday. It's entitled, They Met to Read the Bible. It's by Carolyn Winfrey Gillette. It was written to reflect things that happened in Charleston, South Carolina. It is set, her words are set to the tune of Beneath the Cross of Jesus. So, um, as you plan for the rest of the summer, if there are hymns that you would really like to sing that we just haven't been singing, uh, that would be wonderful to scour through the hymnal and find ones that you like to sing. People usually tell me that they would like to sing the old hymns. That's not true. They want to sing the familiar hymns because sometimes we sing hymns that were written in the year 437 and people said, that's a new hymn. I said, no. That's a really old one. You mean familiar ones. 
but this tune should be familiar with you. Mr. Kerner, we're glad that you're with us today to play the organ. Thank you. If you wouldn't mind playing this through once, and then we'll all sing, uh, They Met to Read the Bible.
I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. O Israel, hope in the Lord. Let us worship God. Please join me in prayer. Generous God, as recipients of many material blessings, we are among those who have provisions beyond our needs. In Jesus, you have commanded us to love our neighbors as ourselves and to care for the poor. We come together to remember with gratitude that all we have is an outpouring of your generosity, gifts to be shared. We open ourselves to the challenges of Christian stewardship and pray for courage to resist the values of our affluent society in which the accumulation of money and possessions is equated with success in life. As we worship this day, help us to become people who live with the spirit of generosity. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, so that you may be revered. Let us confess our sin to God. In 2 Samuel, we eventually read, Touch the ark and die. Pretty severe action, especially for someone who was just trying to help. No wonder King David was afraid. Indiana Jones had the same problem, Lord. Touch Jesus and live. Pretty powerful person. Some difference. 
Of course, it took faith, absolute trust in the power of Christ, complete assurance of his divinity. I fear touch, not of the ark, but of people and of God. If you get too close to emotions, to hurts, to the real stuff of life, if you let yourself be touched, you can get hurt. So I keep my distance. I don't open myself to people. I don't let them get inside me or get inside them. Lord, forgive my fear of touching and being touched in any real way, and open me to be touched to the heart by you and your people, that I may be healed by the power of Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen. The costly generosity of God in Jesus has gifted us with salvation from sin and death. In Christ, we are assured our sins are forgiven and we may begin again to live, not for ourselves alone, but with concern for others. Our generosity is our Christian legacy, calling, and opportunity. Thanks be to God. Glory be to the Father and to It was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be. You may be seated. A reading from Second Samuel. After the death of Saul, when David had returned from defeating the Amalekites, David remained two days in Ziklag. David intoned this lamentation over Saul and his son Jonathan. He ordered that the song of the bow be taught to the people of Judah. It is written in the book of Joshua. He said, Your glory, O Israel, lies slain upon your high places. How the mighty have fallen! Tell it not in Gath, proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, or the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice. The daughters of the uncircumcised will exult. You mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor bounteous fields. For there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul, anointed with oil no more. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, The bow of Jonathan did not turn back, nor the sword of Saul return empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you with crimson in luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle. It's a lament. And somehow it's strange that it should occur here in the Bible. Because if you remember, Saul, the king, had sought to kill David. And now David eulogizes Saul and his son, his good friend, Jonathan. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm going to come on over here. I want you to know that the congregation here doesn't very often see me dressed like this. These are called preaching bands. Have you ever seen them before? They're linen. Matter of fact, as we get to the end of this week, we have a holiday in this country. It is the 4th of July. That's right. The 4th of July is a great holiday. And um, it celebrates something very, very special. But there's a part of it that the Presbyterian Church in Heritage, uh, it's special. You know there was only one pastor who signed the Declaration of Independence? His name was John Witherspoon. John Witherspoon was a pastor in New Jersey and eventually became the president of Princeton. And when you see pictures of John Witherspoon, he always wears his preaching bands like this. They stand for the Old Testament and the New. A reminder, you should preach all of the Word of God. Now, John Witherspoon was not just a pastor and a very profound teacher. Twelve of the signers of the Declaration of Independence were his students. One of them came from Virginia to study under him. And his name was James Madison. James Madison finished four years of school at uh, Princeton. Everybody thought he was going to go to William and Mary. But no, he went north. And then when he finished school, he decided that he wanted to continue to study politics government and philosophy and theology under the president of the school. And so he asked him if he could stay an extra year. That sounds strange, doesn't it? Somebody finishes school after four years and they want to stay an extra one? But James Madison did stay. And he became the first graduate student at Princeton. Now why is this important? Do you know who really wrote the Constitution that was approved later by the Continental Congress on the 4th of July? James Madison. And where did he learn about representative democracy as a style of government? From John Witherspoon. John Witherspoon used to teach the church and the state are separate. But they all belong to God. Interesting thought. Well, this is a special day. We have a family who's going to have a baptism, and I'm going to go light the candle, and if you'd come up near the baptismal font, that'll be wonderful. And I think Newt Green's coming. Newt is our elder for today.
Newt, we're ready for you. On behalf of the session, I present Austin Christopher Trotter, son of Jonathan and Erica Strawbridge Trotter, who received the sacrament of baptism. Jonathan and Erica, hear the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you, and lo, I will be with you to the close of the age. Obeying the word of our Lord Christ and sure of his presence, we baptize those whom he calls to be his own. In Jesus Christ, God has promised to forgive our sins and has joined us together in the family of faith, which is the church. He has delivered us from darkness. He transfers us to his kingdom, his kingdom of his beloved son. As you present your son for baptism, you announce your faith in Jesus Christ and show that you want your son to study him, know him, love him, and serve him as a faithful disciple. So, who is your Lord and Savior? Jesus Christ. Do you trust in him, do you? We do. Do you intend your son to be his disciple, to obey his word, and to show his love, do you? We do. You may all be seated. We take this water, water that was present at creation, water which was used to baptize our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is common. It's set aside now for holy purpose. Let us do that with prayer. Now, we have a special person with us today. This is Reverend Carol Ann Strawbridge. She is an ordained Presbyterian pastor, 
And I thought it'd be wonderful if you were the one to place the water on your grandson. Walk with me down here a little bit. There's some people want to see Austin Christopher a little closer. I can understand that. Can you? Yeah, I figured you could. This is Austin Christopher. And, and you just made a promise, really, to him and to his parents. And I thought if you saw him, it might assist you in keeping the promise that is so easy to say and more difficult to do. When our own children were born, the doctor who attended them said to us, attended their birth, you know, every child that is born is a message from God that God has not despaired of God's world. Otherwise, God would not send another child into it. It is a message of hope and love for a congregation to receive such a child. God bless you all. We have these uh, gifts for you, too. Blanket is a gift from Presbyterian Women here at First Presbyterian Church. That's a certificate. And this is a candle. It has on it the symbol of baptism. A lot of people don't know that uh, in the very first century, when people were baptized, they often lit a lamp or a candle. And then that same lamp or candle was relit at that person's funeral to signify that the light of Christ had been with them throughout all their life. I thought if you looked at the candle from time to time, it would be a good reminder to you of God's great blessing in giving you such a wonderful gift. Thank you. Child 
of God, your loving parent, learn to listen for God's call. Grow to laugh and sing and worship, trust and love Lord and A reading from Second Corinthians chapter eight. Now as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in our love for you, so we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. I do not say this as a command, but I am testing the genuineness of your love against the earnestness of others. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich." And in this matter, I am giving my advice. It is appropriate for you who began last year not only to do something, but even to desire to do something else. Uh, Now finish doing it so that your eagerness may be matched by completing it according to your means. For if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. I do not mean that there should be relief for others and pressure on you, but it is a question of fair balance between your present abundance and their need, so that their abundance may be for your need, in order that there may be a fair balance. It's written, the one who had much did not have too much, and the one who had little did not have too little. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Hannah, what a joy to watch you grow in your playing of the harp. And how wonderful that you have shared this gift with us. It is a very generous gift. A collect. The woman hiding in the crowd reached for Christ's garment hem that simply by the touch of it, she might be healed within. From Christ went forth a healing grace, her health and life restored. Who touched my clothes, the Savior asked. No one said a word. When Jesus had crossed again the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him. He was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all she had and was no better. Instead, she grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you? How could you say, Who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear, fell down before him and told him the truth. He said to her daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Don't fear, just believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing. And when he entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child's not dead, they're just sleeping. They laughed at him. He put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. And he took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk. She was about 12 years of age. At this they were overcome with amazement and he strictly ordered them. No one should know this. And then he told them to give her something to eat. A reflection on the gospel for us to share. The woman knelt before him 
than with joy and anxious fear. And Jesus blessed her lovingly. In peace go forth from here. The burdens now that weigh us down, the sins we fear to speak, the ache of heart and empty soul we lay before your feet. So touch us, Lord, with healing grace. Amen, that we may always live in you and know your peace within. Oh, 
A new story caught my eye this week. It came out of South Africa. It will probably be a very minor interest to many of you who were in worship last Sunday. The story details the death of a 12-foot African rock python. The engorged snake was first spotted by a mountain biker in the Lake Elland Game Reserve about 100 miles south of Durban two weeks ago. The snake was motionless and people were speculating on what the snake had consumed. Some thought it might have been a small warthog, others maybe an impala calf, but it was concluded that the snake was harmlessly dead. Park rangers did an autopsy, and inside the snake's stomach, they found a 30-pound porcupine. Now, last Sunday, we quoted 19th century philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer, who compared the human race to porcupines huddled together on a bitter cold winter night. The colder it gets outside, the more we huddle together for warmth. But the closer we get to one another, the more we can hurt one another with our sharp quills. We then thought about the implications of porcupines hugging one another. So this Sunday, Let's consider a scene with evangelist Jesse Duplantis, who had an up-close personal experience with someone who did more than just hug him. It was a woman who had some very urgent needs. He was leaving the worship service, and this woman, a little older in years, grabbed him by the shoulders, threw him into a nearby coat closet. Her intent was not to hurt him, just to get his full attention. Once she had him cornered in the closet, she got down to business. She said, I want a man. Well, you can only imagine the fear that rushed to the mind of Reverend Duplantis at that instant. She said it with a second time. She said, you're a man of God. You know how to pray. Pray for me now. Relieved, Duplantis blurted out a quick prayer for this woman, and the satisfied woman opened the closet door and released her hostage. About a year later, Reverend Duplantis had a reason to return to this particular congregation. He encountered the same woman who was now accompanied by a handsome new husband. And after the service, Reverend Duplantis spoke to her and described the terror that had gripped him in the coat closet a year earlier. She informed him that she had only been obeying scripture, the scripture that had been read that day in worship. And he said, and what scripture would that be? And she quoted a snippet of Matthew eleven twelve: the violent will take it by force. Now, she had taken this snippet of scripture completely out of context. She still believed that this new husband was an answer to that forced prayer in the closet. 
And Duplantis later writes that he could argue with her theology, but he could not argue with her results. I think Jesus would have appreciated this lady. I mean, think how often Jesus praised people who just would not be denied. On one occasion, he said, Seek and you shall find. Ask and it shall be given you. Knock and the door will be open. And he responded to people who were not hesitant about seeking, asking, and knocking. You take this good man in our scripture lesson or the woman here who appears in the text after him. Jairus was a leader of the local synagogue. When he saw Jesus, he fell at the master's feet. He begged him, my daughter is at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her and she will be made well and live. Now, I'm certain there were other leaders of synagogues who also had needs, but I doubt that they would have humbled themselves and fallen at the feet of this itinerant preacher. They wouldn't have done it like Jairus. They would have been too proud. It's not necessary that they felt too good, but too proud. They didn't want to look silly doing it especially if there were other people around. I understand this. It's why many of us men will not ask for directions, even when we are hopelessly lost. It's our pride. You go to buy a toaster, it comes with a free bank. Will Rogers put it, If stupidity got us into the mess, then why can't it get us out? It is one thing for a laundry to call and tell you we're sorry we've lost your shirt, but you do not expect your broker to phone you and give you the same message. It's really a lousy time, I thought, for the lectionary that we read an Old Testament lesson, a lesson from the epistles and the gospels, to kind of pop up lessons like the ones we've read today. See, sometimes I choose scriptures to be read on Sundays because I've been concentrating some personal biblical study in some area, like the life of Abraham or mountaintop experiences or the I am sayings of Jesus. But then there are those times we just open up the common lectionary and let the standard Bible readings for the day be chosen by an ancient committee, and voila, we've got these strange readings that are so disjointed like today's. I must admit to you, the most uncomfortable one for me to read was the one from Paul. I am aware, and you are too, that millions of people in the world today would be thrilled if they had your problems and mine. Most of us have access to good health care. We're blessed by people who love us. We tend to be able to forage for food in the forests of Wegmans. We have the freedom to worship the resurrected Christ. So even though it may not be the best time for these texts to emerge with messages about healing and giving, something that seems to be more suited for the months of October and November, especially Paul's letter, they're here. I'm sure I've told you what 
a pastor in a small country church did when the congregation was having financial struggle. One Sunday he announced, Now, before we pass the offering plate, I would like to request that the person who stole the chickens from Brother Martin's henhouse please refrain from giving any money to the Lord. The Lord does not need money from a thief. And the ushers received the offering, and it seemed that everyone in the congregation put in something special and extra that day. (laughs) There are lots of messages about this kind of stuff. Maybe you've listened to Paul Harvey. It was about Thanksgiving time, and he told a story about a couple who had had a leftover rather than an abundance mentality. See, that's what Paul's pushing for here. He wants us to be abundant in what we do. The way Mr. Harvey relayed the tale needed some backup information that each year the Butterball Turkey Company sets up a hotline to answer consumer questions about preparing Thanksgiving turkeys. One woman called to inquire about cooking a turkey that had been in her freezer for 23 years. The operator told her it might still be safe to serve the turkey if the freezer had been kept below zero degrees the entire time. But the operator warned the woman that even if it were safe, the flavor had probably deteriorated and she would not recommend eating this turkey. The caller replied, that's exactly what we thought. Then she added these words, we'll just give it to the church to give away. (laughs) It kind of makes you cry, doesn't it? It's the kind of story that makes your skin itch. That's one of the things skin does. You know that your skin is the largest organ of your body It's the oldest, the first one developed in the womb. It's very sensitive. That's why it itches. Its function is more complex than being just the wrapper that holds you together. It sends physical messages of heat and cold and pain and pleasure and psychological messages of love and friendship and faith and hope. The skin has some 50 receptors per 100 square millimeters. And within these receptors are tactile points, about 7 to 135 per square centimeter. You have a lot of those on the back of your hand. Your palm has many more. I mean, there are continual breakthroughs about skin and touch. It's been uncovered that our skin can tell us about our moral well-being. Moral in the sense of your morale. Contact with others or the lack of it affects us, can destroy us, heal us. And we learn about that a little bit in this Bible reading from the Gospel of Mark. Now with that... Without anticipating anything unusual, I consulted a large dictionary and looked up the word touch. 
there was the most exhaustive listing under the word, 14 full columns about touch. And the sheer enormity of the definition stood in testimony to the influence which tactile experience of hands and fingers has upon our memory and our speech. God touched the world through the incarnation, the embodiment of skin in Christ. And Jesus in turn touched humanity, laying his hands on others, sometimes to heal them, sometimes to embrace them like a grandmother holding a grandchild. Back in 1972, the most read academic book was written by Sidney Simon and Kirschenbaum. It was entitled Values Clarification. Every teacher was reading it. And then a little later, Sidney Simon, professor of education at the University of Massachusetts, published a second book entitled Caring, Feeling, and Touching. Let me read to you a portion of it. There is a deep-seated hunger within us that no amount of food can satisfy. It is hunger for touch. It is skin hunger. In a class I teach at the University of Massachusetts, I emphasize these premises. One, every human being comes into the world needing to be touched. And that need persists until death. Two, being touched in tender, caring ways is in itself therapeutic and healing. And three, in many homes, children are fortunate enough to have their skin hunger satisfied, and in many others, touching takes only the form of spanking. I mean, I know what you're wondering. What could be worse than touching a porcupine. But have you ever thought about what it's like to be touched? I took up my hands. I just looked at them for a while. What did they touch this week? Money? Computer keyboard? Number of buttons? A baseball? Sophie, the poodle next door, and Budge, the air doll, down the street. A few doorbells. The button on the microwave, the one on the TV. I also thought about who they touched. A newly minted baby in the narthex. People floating into the office, some in the hospital who grieved, some not just touched but hugged. Risking it all from a person who does not touch others just always spontaneously or easily. That was hard. These hands had shaken hands with some men that I don't know because of their background. Even men that I had thought to distrust. And then I raised a question, what had these hands healed? The touchy-feely movement has long waned. But we need touch now as much as anything. 
Who touched me? Which of you? I must know. Peter came up with a quick, sensible answer. Why, Master, look at the crowd. All kinds of people have touched you. They're touching you now. And Christ replied with something like this. These people are touching me with curiosity. They are touching me as a celebrity might want to be touched. But someone touched me with faith. There's a difference, don't you understand? I could tell in an instant because power and virtue flowed from me to whoever that person was who touched me. And this woman didn't want to cause any trouble. She didn't want to be noticed. She would have shunned any publicity. She was trying to leave undetected. When the master's question became a command, and he said, do you realize that it was your own faith that cured you? It was your inner unwavering conviction that did it. Go in peace. Sometimes we are touched by words and the actions of others, not just by their hands. I thought President Obama touched more people this week when he spontaneously began to sing Amazing Grace at the funeral of Pastor Clemente Pinckney in Charleston. I mean, many of you are aware, I'm sure, that lots of cultures use the pentatonic scale. On a piano, you can find the pentatonic scale by playing just the black keys. Now, there are some Celtic tunes that have melodies rooted in the pentatonic scale. It's the scale for many African songs. Using this scale alone, you will discover that most, most all Negro spirituals can be sung by only singing the notes of the black keys. Every time I feel the spirit, swing low, sweet chariot. And surprisingly, amazing grace. John Newton wrote those words to the great hymn. He was once the captain of an English slave ship. Although Newton participated in the slave trade for a number of years, he became a prominent supporter of abolitionism. Then joining with others like William Wilberforce, he lived to see the Slave Trade Act of 1807, which abolished slavery in England. Interesting details about Newton's own period of servitude his rescues from West Africa, later from a storm off the Irish coast, that all forms the background of his changed life. He studied Greek, Hebrew, and Syriac, and on June 17, 1764, was ordained a priest in the Church of England. He wrote the words to Amazing Grace, and some believe that they were set to an English or Celtic folk tune. Others think that the tune we have come to know and which President Obama sang were first heard in the bowels of an English slave ship. Now the truth is uncertain, but what seems to be clear is that the hymn has been shrouded with connections to redemption 
the black keys of the pentatonic scale, emancipation from many forms of enslavement and freedom. Governor Mike Huckabee, he's in the news a little more lately. As we're kind of leaning toward um, the fourth, Mike Huckabee told about Martha Cothran. It was in 2005. It was the first day of school. And Ms. Cothran did something that the rest of her class will never forget. With the permission of the school superintendent, the principal, and the building supervisor, she had all of the desks taken out of her classroom. The kids came for the first day of school. There were no desks. Miss Catherine, where are our desks? They began to ask the question. And she said, you can't have a desk until you can tell me how you earn them. They weren't quite sure. Some said, well, maybe it's our grades. No. Is it our behavior, Miss Cothwin? No, not your behavior. And so they came and went in the first period, still no desks in the classroom. Second period, third period. By early afternoon, television news crews had gathered in Ms. Cothran's class to find out what this crazy teacher who had all the desks taken out of the classroom was planning to do. At the last period of the day, Martha Cothran gathered her class. This time they're there, all sitting on the floor, around the sides of the room. And she says, now I will tell you. She went over to the door of her classroom and she opened it. And as she did, 27 military veterans wearing their uniforms walked into the classroom, each one carrying a school desk. They placed those school desks in rows and then they stood against the wall And by the time they finished placing the desk, the kids, for the first time, I think, in their lives, understood how the desks were earned. You don't have to earn these desks, she said. They earned it for you. They put them out there for you. But it is up to you to sit her to sit here responsibly to learn to be good students and citizens because they paid a price for you to have the desk. Throughout history, there have been people who have given their all that you might have freedom from sinfulness. Isn't that the message of the Christ? Hasn't he touched you? 
with his words, with his prayers, with his sacrifice. Please pray with me. God of fairness, we cannot bear the name of Christ and still hoard material gifts while others are in need. It is your will that there be justice in the distribution of the resources of this earth. Receive this offering we bring, bless and use it in the restoring of a fair balance between our abundance and their need. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
may be seated. Aren't these flowers spectacular? I just think they are. They were here for the memorial service for Virginia Allen. And um, she had done so much around the life of this parish. She did so many of the needlepoints. Matter of fact, Jenny Allen made this one. And uh, so it's her handiwork I'm reminded of when often we preach here. Um, Carrie's not here today. She is uh, at a family reunion in Canada. And so we wish her well. Martha and I are going to slip out of Dodge and uh, go on a little vacation to Avalon. I'll preach to the heathen in New Jersey. They really need it there. <laughs> and, and so that you know, don't try and rob the house. And my sister will be coming from Grove City and going to be living there. So she'll greet you at the door if you stop by. It was a wonderful day yesterday for a lot of students from Pittsburgh who graduated from high school, received their diplomas. There were some wonderful parties. They were a little muddy. But that's okay. Len Parker has asked us to pray for a friend. Her name is Sue. She's had some brain surgery. And has had a series of seizures. We pray that she might be touched spiritually and healed. Please join me in prayer. Generous God, we've come together in worship and we remember your gracious generosity and your example for us in Jesus. Your love is extravagant. We too easily become preoccupied with the relentless problems of our lives. We too easily seek security in the things of this world, clinging to that which cannot save. Keep us from being further deceived by the attraction of stuff. And show us the priceless value of relationships. Enable us even in this time to awaken anew to your regard for us, to sense your spirit stirring within. We thank you for your generosity to us and the whole world in Christ. We thank you for the surprising gifts you have given, often from the most unexpected sources, reminding us of your care. We thank you for those who have been generous to us, even when we did not feel particular need but bless us by sharing what they had received as a blessing from you. We pray for those who have worldly riches and renown, but are really empty on the inside. We pray for those who are not needing just a handout, but support, that the assistance given to them might be genuine, might be encouraging. We pray for those who feel no responsibility for anyone else. They will come to understand that we're all woven together in a fabric of this life and that your life and your gifts of hope are to be shared. So we remember today 
Sue, and those who love her, the family of Ginny Allen. And we pray that we might be a blessing to others and that we might live out the promises that are easy for us to say but harder to do, even at a baptism. So may our lives be transformed by the words of Jesus. His words still touch us when we pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the blessing of the Holy Spirit go with us and abide with us all today and in the life everlasting. Amen. That's the idea, you know, that's good. Yeah, put him to sleep. That's good. <laughs> we know how this works. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's good. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Well, that's what I thought. I thought that was good.
Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is an old traditional place. You figured that one out. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a great, it's a great fellowship. We're just glad that you've got a daughter and son-in-law here. And we hope that they find it. Yeah. Pretty neat. And you've discovered mission is a big deal. We have uh, we have 35 people heading to Jamaica next week. A little place called Riverton, outside of Kingston. It's a garbage dump. Spanish Town is not far away. That's the area. No. Well, we haven't. Um, actually, it's really interesting. This is. Uh, 